HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Well, hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin, and I'm here with you once again this Thursday morning in glorious San Francisco, California. I'm standing in the Mission District. There's slight noise of traffic, but it's okay, and it's a fine day. been doing a lot of missioning after our wonderful Petaluma Mixer at the Seed Bank last Sunday. So many wonderful, wonderful younger farmers and um, elders expressing their solidarity and support of our fine burgeoning movement. And today I'm joined by another Californian on the telephone, Tim Van Wagner, who is a great agrarianist, uh, agriculturalist leader up in the Sierra foothills. Tim, are you on the line? I am. Hey, Severin. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Tim, would you mind introducing um, yourself and your project to our fine listeners? Sure, sure. I'm up in Nevada City. Um, we're about 2,400 feet, a small community in the foothills, kind of in the forest. Um, this is where I grew up, and um, I'm involved with a project up here called the Living Lands Agrarian Network, and basically what we're doing is um, we're farming land that we don't own, that we don't own, so there's lots of land up here that's more or less fallow, uh, you know, people have full-time jobs, and uh, the land has fallen out of production. So in the last four years, we've come in and we've, uh, you know, formed relationships with these people and uh, started to farm their land. Um, and so in the process, we've, we've created this network, uh, the Agrarian Network, that is now a nonprofit organization that's working to support farmers and uh, agrarian education um, in our community here. And and let's talk about the community here, what the history of that community is, and and what the land and kind of farming is that you're doing on that on that land. Okay, yeah. Well, this is a this is historically, you know, agriculture and mining were the two main focuses of industry up here. Uh, the gold rush was, you know, hugely powerful up here, informing the landscape. Um, and of course, the farms back then had to be close by because there wasn't this massive transportation system that we rely on now. So there was a good amount of dairy. Um, there were close to town, close to the, the centers. There were market gardens. Um, a lot of fruit actually was grown here. Um, and kind of the progression of it was that a lot of the fruit at first was grown and consumed locally. But then as the railroad became more uh, 
more of a force. A lot of the fruit was grown for export to the East Coast. Um, around 1930 or so, mining... Uh, kind of started to peter off as different legislation came down because a lot of the mining up here was the hydraulic mining. So meaning that basically they were washing the hillsides away to find the gold and all that sediment that they were washing away went into the rivers and ended up down in the Central Valley where it affected agriculture down there. And so um, the court rulings you know, basically said that you can't do this anymore. And so that pretty much put a halt on the industry up here so since then, it's it's been, you know, it's had some periods of um, downturn where the mining industry left, and um, I think in the recent 20 years, we've seen uh, a great uh, increase in just kind of wealth and, and people generally coming up from the Bay Area and just, um, you know, with, with the general economic uh, uh, state of the United States, an increase in wealth in this area, but it hasn't really been revolving around mining or agriculture. Um, so people are, so the, the, the streams have been washed away by the water from the flumes from the hydraulic water pumps that were washing Yeah, there was the a lot of damage that was done, done from that, that era, um, although it's amazing to see that how the forests have regrown. There's pictures of this area that the hills are totally denuded, totally logged, and um, but now there's there's great forests here, large trees. Um, but you know, at the same time that the mining went away, the agriculture also went away, and so a lot of the agricultural lands are have just been kind of re revegetated with um, you know invasives, but also with natives uh, forest land. And so what we what we're doing up here is we're farming within the forest, and so that's that's one of the constraints on um, this area is that it's forest land. So the land that has great sun and great soil is is not just you know all over the place. Now let's talk a little bit about infrastructure. I don't know how long your family's been in that area, and if they were having any part in constructing the mine. Um, but I've been looking up in the foothills at the at the barns and the way that they're built, and they seem like they're built a little bit like the mines were, kind of a little bit slipshod. But then some, sometimes there's some really fancy Victorian filigree. What kind of um, what kind of barns do you guys have, and and what condition were they in when you found them? You know, where we are, there's not a lot of those old barns. A little bit lower down, there's you, you find a lot of them. But, um, uh, you know, we, one of our barns is a newer barn, but it's, uh, it's, so it's not really built with the old timbers the old way they used to do it. Um, so, yeah, I can't really That's speak so much to that. Yeah, it's, it would be nice to have a big old barn with, you know, with everything complete in it for your animals and for your hay and storage and, and all that. But that's one of the barriers we're coming up against is that farming on other people's land, it's, you know, the land is, is really important, but also the, just the structures and the infrastructure that is available um, to use for all your different operations is so important. So... Actually, one of the one of the things we're doing, um, because we don't own this land, and investing in land that you don't own is, you know, it's it's a decision you need to make. You need to either make it or not, and uh, it's it helps your operation a lot if you can feel like 
whatever you invest in that land is going to be uh, with you and secure for for a good time to come. And so what we've done is formed this relationship with our independent farmers and the nonprofit so that the nonprofit is actually investing in the land, in the infrastructure, and then uh, providing the land for the farmers to farm. So in a way, it's subsidizing um, our local agriculture here. And who are the farmers? Where are you guys coming from and what are you growing? Well, right now there's four of us. Um, there's myself, there's an older man, uh, Leo Chapman. He's in his uh, mid-50s, and he, he's recently come to agriculture in the last five or six years. Before that, he was a general contractor, and, um, and then he, he kind of started this whole thing up here where he, he, he kind of got sick of building, and uh, it turned out to be really good timing because of what's going on now. But um, at that time, when he when he was really just ready to make a sh- make a shift, um, he approached one of the one of our original landowners up here, and um, it was about an acre and a half or two acres that he was farming on their land. And he started out by doing a small CSA, um, and then I came along and joined him a couple years later. And then since then, we have um, we've had a, a number of different people join us for different stints of time. We've had interns come for, you know, the whole season, about eight months. Um, we've had about, every year we have about five or six interns. And uh, one of those interns stayed with us for a second year. So he um, he learned a lot in the first year, and then he felt like he wanted to have his own project going on. And so what we were able to do was to provide him with that land, the space that he needed to, to pursue his interests, um, and to kind of just support one another uh, through labor, through uh, advice, through with the animals especially, which is what I'm involved with, just through um, like helping out when when I need to get away or whatnot. Um, and then the other so two farmers talk, are a couple of, a couple of young women who um, they're actually they're doing a project called uh, Soil Sisters, and it's a women's collective Ooh. farm. Um, and they are growing a bunch of different varieties of vegetables for a CSA and farmer's market, um, but they're really, really trying to focus on uh, women's empowerment, and um, so their project's really exciting. Um, and, Can I talk and, about the dyna- Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't oh, go mean ahead. to interrupt. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can't, I can't hear you very well, so I can't. Sometimes I just speak over you. No, I had the same problem. But listen, what I wanted to know is maybe you could talk about what it's like to be part of a team and what's good about that, and then how each individual part of the team, each pony in the um, each pony in the wagon train, has its own ideas and starts to pull in its own direction. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's a balance because um, when you're part of a team, uh, you you get supported by everybody else in that team. That's the idea, at least. Um, and and you're getting support to to pursue what you're interested in. At least that's what we're doing up here. And so um, everybody has a different interest, and because there's so many different ways you can go in agriculture, um, that's that's our main focus is to support each other in whatever it is we want to learn. Um, and so... Uh, what we've done is created this network, and basically through the nonprofit, we are all connected 
because um, we have a rotational communal work day where, um, well, for one, our, our internship program uh, is shared amongst all the different farmers. And so the interns, you know, throughout the week, they rotate around one day they're with me, one day they're with uh, one of the other farmers, and so on and so forth. And so they're getting exposed to a lot of different systems, a lot of different ideas, uh, and then also the farmers are getting that help, that additional help on each of those days. Um, and then on Wednesdays, what we do is we have a, like a group work day where all of the farmers, all of our volunteers, all of our interns, we, we work on one site with one farmer, and that farmer is kind of in charge of um, having some projects ready, some larger projects, hopefully, so that they can really make use of all the different, different people there and the different skills that everybody has. Um, and so it's really a way to, to help each other out and get, to get things done. Um, so it's and kind then of at a the same time, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's kind of a blend between the craft programs, which is a um, cooperative, uh, well, I forget what craft stands for, <laughs> the craft programs and the crop mob. Craft is oh, yeah, cooperative, yeah, yeah. Rural, cooperative rural education farmer training. What is it? Cooperative, shoot, regional. Cooperative regional agricultural. Farming training. Anywho, you better keep going because I'm clearly not on my balls. Well, yeah, that 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 whole did you call it the crop mob? Well, the crop mob model is where everybody shows up on one farm and pools resources, pools labor. Exactly. And yeah, then, it's really similar to that. I just read about that. Um, ours is a little bit is is a little bit more maybe structured, where it's like you know when you're going to get when you're going to get all these different hands to help you. Um, and so, so it's like rotational. You know, it, yeah, it's rotational, and it's it's a set schedule, which is you know it's nice that you can really depend on it, and you can save certain projects for certain days. Um, another another advantage of of kind of our network is that we're able to pool our markets. So at farmers market, we actually sell under the name of the of the nonprofit. Uh, and so in the beginning of the season, we all get together and we say. This is what I'm going to grow. This is what I'm going to grow. Da da da, and and so we can really um, have a really nice, robust booth at farmers market. Um, none of us actually depend, you know, 100% on farmers market for for our income, and so it really works out that we can all share a booth because we don't need as much space. But um, everybody can kind of decide what they want, what they're going to focus on, and a lot of that focus has to do with the microclimate of their site because we're up here in the hills and uh, it's amazing how a mile from one site on the other, uh, on the other side of a ridge, you know, it can be on average, you know, eight, eight degrees cooler than the other site. And it has to do with exposure, drainage, um, and just general wind, wind patterns and weather patterns. And how did you, I mean, what was the process like in the community where you were making these rules up for yourselves and kind of deciding how you're going to govern this brand new collective? Mm-hmm. How did you guys, was there beer involved? <laughs> it's been an ongoing process. Uh, it's, it's really been just an evolution of uh, each season. We've, we've had slightly different 
relationships and in different structures and uh, refining that that structure so that we we strike that balance between um, kind of the group the group work supporting each other but still maintaining a certain degree of autonomy so that everybody can still feel like they're their you know they're the head of their project that they can focus on their project and that um, that they're able to put the time that that they want to put in into their project um, and that's that's probably been the biggest the biggest piece of it is really just finding that balance and at the same time throwing in the economics of it all and figuring out okay like is how much labor do I need on my farm and is this is this new model where we have we have the help of the interns and the farmers at different times of the week? Is this enough for what I for what I'm going to do? And so it's in the beginning of the season. There's a lot of um, just dialogue about I'm going to be growing this and I'm going to need this much help to do it. Um, and so just just kind of keeping all the conversations open and um, and it's it's still an evolution. This is a whole another year of of figuring things out. And we've, we came up this winter, this is a new structure we came up with, and we might find that it actually needs some more tweaking, which it probably will. Um, but that's, that's part of the beauty of it is that it's, it's you know, it's uh, like a farm, it's a farmer cooperative where everybody has a say in what they need. And so we can address those needs uh, every year and, and hopefully get closer and closer to what, what's ideal. It really, I just, um, that really resonates with me because yesterday we were at uh, Green Gulch Farm meeting, meeting with uh, Sarah Jane, who's another young farmer and who's working at a farm and managing that Green Gulch fabulous farm down mm-hmm. in the valley that's been going for such a long time and has kind of achieved, you know, they do happen to be in like a Zen, in a Zen center. So there's a certain uh-huh. harmoniousness inherent in that, but... I think that the the organism and the social relations and the expectations and the whole kind of um, the whole culture of the place has kind of settled out over the course of those you know many decades, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. come you know it's come into its own hum and its own rhythm and its own you know the way that it's going to settle out and be. And I feel like with any of these new farm projects and community projects and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like having enough people who are committed to the long term and committed to the yeah. to the to the you know process that it takes to get to that equilibrious humming um, and the harmony of that you know where every, all the people are getting what they need out of it and are being able mm-hmm. to su- survive and succeed. I feel like that's almost as much work as the farming is the <laughs> that, you know the commitment to harmony. Absolutely, and and you know what, with with a lot of the in, in our area, there's there's a number of farms, um, and so this time of year, it's really exciting because there's probably twenty or twenty five interns and or slash young farmers in the area, and so it's really in the last four years, I mean that's increased a lot, and it's it's really great because it's created this social network, social scene for all these people and and that's just as big a part of what everybody's trying to do because if you're just farming in isolation you're going to find that i think you you're lacking in other parts of your life uh you're not being stimulated by other people your age and um not finding that community and so i think that we're really lucky here because we've got we have potlucks we have all these different social events um and it's just 
people are trying to create a life around agriculture and and not just you know farm to farm and to make money or to grow food, but really to try and complete that picture. Well, and we've seen what happens if you just sit on your farm. You know, you turn into like a huge plant dork and start singing <laughs> to yourself, and it can be a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we've got to prevent be- that. And speaking of celebration and community, I wanted to re um, reassert my commitment to include Nevada City on our West Coast tour. Um, we're going to start up in Washington State and work our way down down the West Coast. My goal and my commitment to the world is to finish my film by the end of the <laughs> summer so that we can be bringing the finished product down um, in the early fall down the coast and in each place um, convening a uh, collaborative celebratory space for young farmers to um, meet, greet, and uh, talk mm-hmm. to each other about how the season went. And so I'm really excited to come and see the scene up there. Tell me... Um, is there room for more young farmers in your community? Oh, absolutely. There's there's lots of land. I mean, land is expensive up here. It's I mean, it's California, and it's that's just the way it is. Um, however, there's there's like what we're doing. There's ways around it, uh, and generally, the community up here, the broad community, is very receptive to local agriculture, and to the point now where we have people coming to us saying. We have 10 acres. We have, you know, we have some housing on this 10 acres. Uh, we want you to farm it. We've seen what you've done. It's beautiful. We really support this. We see it as the way of the future. Um, there's lots of lots of people who've come to us with that sort of sort of setup. Um, and just as far as markets go, I mean, there's CSAs up here, and while I think that the CS the CSA farms have really done a lot to you know, increase their memberships. Uh, it's it's really just a drop in the pool, drop in the ocean of of how many people are in this county. There's a hundred thousand in this county, and there's probably only eight hundred CSA shares uh, total. So if you look at that, there's lots of room there. Um, there's a local foods foods market. There's farmers markets. There's great restaurants up here that are really on board with buying local food. Um, and so I, you know, I'd encourage anybody if they're looking to to start farming to check this area out and hook up with the farms, the farmers, and um, just to feel it out. I think it's got a lot of potential for people to to at least plug in and get get started and and see where it takes them because it's really just a journey. Pretty special journey, and um, let's make sure they know how to get in touch with you. How okay, do they yeah, find well, out about the Agrarian Network? Well, uh, I'm going to give my website. It's www.livinglandsagrariannetwork.org. You can also just Google Living Lands Nevada City. Uh, you'll find lots of information about what we're doing there. We have a land bank uh, link on there. So uh, right now we have more land available than we're farming. And so um, for people interested in that, they should definitely look at the website and see if there's something that, that uh, matches their, their dream. Um, we also have information about our internship program, although we're full this year. We've already got our interns. Uh, we do different workshops. Um, we do social events, potlucks, and different fundraising events throughout the summer. Uh, and so that's, that's the best way. There's our, my contact information is on that website. And uh, feel free to email me with any questions. 
Well, Tim, I'm so impressed. I remember when I first met you, you were carrying um, the collarbone of a whale. <laughs> and um, we were down in Southern California. And I knew then that you were special, but I didn't know cause, um, just quite how special of a visionary you were. And it's been really a great pleasure to see you guys pioneering some really special new social infrastructure up there in that fabulous, funky, va- funky foothill area. Um, <laughs> those of you who don't know about the Yuba River, you should, you should go and learn about it. It's one of the more sacred spots. Reason, reason enough to come up here. Reason enough, really. Um, so anyway, <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Um, thank you so much, Tim. Thank you all for, for joining us again. Um, be, in, be, on, be on point for our October-November West Coast tour. And, um, and thank you. Oh, I forgot to make an announcement. This weekend <laughs> is um, Beltane. It's May Day. And uh, I'm going to be on the airplane. Yeah, I hate the airplane, but I'm going to be on the airplane back east because we're going to be working at uh, the Hickory's Farm in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And tomorrow... Which, or May 1st, which is Saturday, we're um, going to be picking stones out of the field because it was a very cold winter and a lot of stones emerged and filled off of, off of walls. And then in the mm. afternoon, it's an uh, onion planting party at Hardy Root Farm in Tivoli, New York. So if you guys, any of you are listening and happen to be in the Hudson Valley slash Connecticut area, you know, come on over. And the information is all up on the um, websites of those very of those two farms, uh, Hickory's Farm and Hardy Roots Farm. And um, happy spring, everybody! Talk to you again next week. So exciting! Ciao. All right. Thanks, everyone.